Well, good morning, everyone. It is very good to be together this morning, and we are very conscious that uh, between the heat and summer travel, our numbers are down uh, this morning, uh, but it is good to be here. Um, whatever the size and whatever the number, we are the Lord's people, and it is good to be together. Uh, my name is Tim Shorey. If you are a guest here, uh, we are very grateful you have joined us. And our aim in our worship each Sunday is both to sing God's praises and to pray and to give and to hear God's word, to hear what God has to say to us from sacred scripture. And so I want to invite you this morning to turn uh, in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians that's in the New Testament, uh, somewhere around the middle of the New Testament, the book of Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And I'm going to begin my reading in verse 8 down through verse 12. Uh, for those again visiting or who have only been with us for a couple of weeks, uh, our uh, plan is to preach our way right through this book of Colossians so that we get uh, the, the whole sense of what the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has to say to us. And in that exposition and preaching through this book, we come uh, to chapter 2 and verse 8. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Let's pray. Lord, would you please come and attend to your word and by wonderful things, Lord, in our minds and in our hearts. Lord, we depend on you for all things, including this very moment of hearing your word. Come and bless in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So my opening question for all of you here today is, how many of you have gotten saved? Uh, strange phrase, right? I, I grew up with that phrase. Uh, uh, in my context, in, in youth, it was often heard, hey, I just got saved. Uh, or, I remember the day I got saved. People spoke of the experience, the event of coming to Christ, of coming to faith as 
getting saved. Nowadays in our times, uh, that might sound like a quaint relic from the past, especially if people don't fill in the blanks a little bit and and tell you what they mean, like uh, what were you saved from, uh, then it might be a little bit vague. But to get saved means that at some point we were in trouble. To get saved implies that there was danger. To get saved implies that there was need. To get saved implies that there was a point, there was a time when we were in trouble. You and I were born in big trouble. All human beings are born into trouble. We are born sinners. We are born guilty. We are born separated from God, alive to sin, and dead to God. Anybody who's ever been a parent knows that from observation. We are born into trouble. We need to get saved. (laughs) I titled this message, What Happened to You When You Got Saved? What happened to you when you got saved? I'd like to suggest that the passage in front of us tells us what happened to us. When we got saved, when we came to faith in Christ, three things happened to us. We were cut off in Christ. We were buried in Christ, and we were raised in Christ. We were cut off in Christ, we were buried in Christ, and we were raised in Christ. You may remember, those that have been here, that Paul in the book of Colossians is dealing with a a need that had arisen in the Colossian church. There were teachers that were coming into the church and really confusing the Christians and saying to these young believers, yes, Jesus is good and Jesus is wonderful, but Jesus isn't enough. You need more than Jesus. You need religious rules. You need religious rituals. You need to make sure that you are enlightened and have some kind of special elite spiritual knowledge. And Paul is addressing that and saying, no, Jesus is enough. Jesus is sufficient for every single need in our life. We, there is no Jesus plus. Christ is all we will ever need. And in this text, he says, in effect, Christ is all we will ever need because he has decisively buried our past and powerfully begun our future. Christ is all we need because he has decisively buried our past. Say that with me. Decisively buried. And he has powerfully begun our future. Say that. He has powerfully begun our future. Decisively buried, powerfully begun. That's in this text that's right in front of us. We're going to look especially at just two verses, verses 11 and 12. And in these verses, Paul tells the Colossians, and in telling them these things, he is telling us these things. He tells them three things. Number one, they were cut off 
in Christ. Look at verse 11. Have your Bible open. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. This, this language is certainly going to be a little bit uh, awkward and uh, may be a little bit alien to us in the 21st century. We're not quite used to talking like this and in this way. But let me try to give you a sense of what Paul is saying. He is saying that, that there is a sense in which, spiritually speaking, we were circumcised, we were cut off when Christ was cut off when Christ was crucified. In the the death of Christ, in the cutting off of Christ, we experienced our own death. His death was in our place. He died for us. When He was circumcised, when He was cut off from this life, when He was cut off on the cross, when He was cut off from the blessing and the presence of God, when He cried out, My God! My God! Why have You forsaken Me? In that moment, His, his being and His existence was, was cut off. It was circumcised. He was separated from the Father. And Paul is saying to us that when you came to faith in Christ, his experience of being crucified and cut off and circumcised, cut off from relationship with God in those moments, that experience that he had counted as ours, so that we will never have to be cut off, so that we will never be forsaken, so that we will never be separated from God through eternal death. Jesus' death was our death. It was the death to the old self. It was our death to sin. It was our death to judgment. It was our death to everything old. When you came to faith in Christ, you, you were What Jesus accomplished for you was counted as yours. So Paul could write in Galatians chapter 2, what? I have been crucified with Christ. Paul, when were you crucified? I was crucified when he was crucified. The death that I deserved, he took. The separation that I had coming to me. The cutting off that all of my sins deserve. Jesus experienced it in my place. And Paul is saying here that when we got saved, when we got saved, God counted us as having already experienced death for our sins and death to the old life. Truth number one, what happened when you got saved? Well, your old self died. And all the hell that that old self deserved died with it. 
and has no more claim on your life. We were cut off in Christ. But it, there's more here. Not only were we cut off in Christ, not only did we experience vicariously, if you will, through the death of Christ, not only did we experience our own death over sin, but Paul goes on to say that we were buried in Christ. Notice verse 11 again. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with Him in baptism. Paul says when we got saved, when we came to faith in Christ, we not only had the old self crucified and killed, but it was buried. And there's, there's I think in this, you know, you, you think, well, if he's already said it's been crucified, if it's been killed, why add buried? And I think, I think it's because of a point of emphasis. There is a difference, isn't there, in our minds and hearts and emotions between the death of a loved one and the burial of a loved one. There is in that moment a kind of finality, a, 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 a closing, and a sense of ending, a, a sense of it's done. It's done. Paul is saying to us, not only have we died in Christ, and not only has our old life and our old self died with Christ, but it's been buried. It's been buried. There is a finality to it. I want, I want you to notice here that um, there is an assumption here uh, that these believers had been baptized. Notice that he says that they were through they were buried with him in baptism that is to say in their baptism they they portrayed they symbolized the burial of their old life there is a there is an assumption here that they had been baptized and and that's something that in today's world there needs to be a little bit of clarification about first of all uh, there there are two great errors when it comes to baptism one is those who say that you need to be baptized in order to be saved and go to go to heaven and that's a false doctrine and a false gospel that that introduces works into our salvation now we're saved by grace alone through faith alone because of Christ alone you don't need to be baptized in order to go to heaven but the other error is that you don't need to be baptized as if it doesn't matter at all. And in the Bible, the reality is, no, it does matter. It is important. It is significant. It is the way that a believer declares his or her faith in Christ. And so if you've not been baptized as a believer, we encourage you and exhort you to do that because that's the assumption and the imperative of the New Testament church. But here's what I want us to see, that in baptism, as you've heard us say before, there is a, a, a kind of funeral service. There is a burial service that is going on. As a person goes down beneath the water, there is symbolized the burial of the old life. And Paul is saying that here, when, when you were baptized, did you not in that declare that your old life was not only dead, it was buried. It was buried. It was something final happened. 
There's a finality to it. There is a sense of permanency to it. And as I stand here today, I'm very, very conscious of my own heart and my own life and my own past. I'm very conscious of the fact how grateful I am that that past has been crucified and buried. Are you with me on that? Are you grateful that your past has been crucified and buried? Think about your past. We've all got a past. We've all got a past. By the time you get to be my age, you begin to think that, you know what? Um, I'm capable of any sin there is. This heart and this flesh are weak. And in the past, there were any number of sins of which I am ashamed and about which I grieve. But I have been crucified with Christ. And all of that is buried. It's done. It's over. You're sitting here this morning and you're still living in your past. You don't have to. You don't have to. You're sitting there thinking about your past and maybe even your present right up to 10 minutes ago, five minutes ago. You may be thinking about it and saying, there's no no hope for me. I've got a past that's just too full of sin, too full of garbage, too full of junk, too full of stuff that God can't stand. Oh, please hear the word of Scripture. That when you come to faith in Christ, that gets crucified and that gets buried. You are cut off from the consequences of your sin in Christ. And it's all buried in Christ. And and here's where it gets really, really amazing. It's not just that you're cut off. It's not just that Christ has dealt decisively with our past. He has also worked powerfully to begin a new future for us. There is a resurrection that has happened. Look at verse 12. Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. In Christ, you have been raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. I want you to notice the verb tenses here. A little grammar for you. For these main verbs in the text. They're all in the past tense. And they all, I'm not going to get too technical on you here, but just, just, just take my word for it on this one. In the, in the uh, Greek language that Paul wrote there, they're all in a past tense that speaks of a once and for all final thing. You were crucified in Him. You were buried in Him. You were raised in Him. It's done. It's accomplished. It's forever. It's fixed. It's 
final. These things have happened in your life, dear child of God. This is your reality. Don't let the world define your reality. Don't let your emotions define your reality. Don't let your present sins and circumstances define your reality. Understand this. In Christ, your old is crucified and it is buried, and you have been raised again into the most radical start-over and do-over that is imaginable to us as human beings. Come to faith in Christ, and you get a complete do-over. Everything is wiped clean, both past, present, and future in God's sight All your guilt is atoned for. All your guilt is taken care of. And you have been raised to a new life. Your future, a new future, has begun. And it's all now about moving forward and and growing stronger and growing more mature and growing more holy and growing more Christ-like and making a godly difference in this world. It's about moving forward because the past is over. Forgetting what is behind. I press forward. Why could Paul say that in Philippians 3? Because he knew the behind was taken care of. And there was only forward for him. Because, because the mighty, powerful working of God had happened in his life. If you're a Christian here, if you've trusted in Christ, there's something powerful that's gone on. Please know this. Please understand this. It wasn't just like, hey, I made a decision. You know, I just decided to follow Jesus. You you did, but you need to understand that the reason you decided to follow Jesus is because Jesus decided to capture you. It's because Jesus decided to do a powerful work in your heart and life. It's because Jesus came after you. In His love, mercy, and grace, He came after you. And in your heart and in your spirit, there was a moment where Jesus breathed life into your spirit, into your soul, and you came alive. You were dead, but now you're alive. Do you remember when you were dead? You who are believers? Do you remember spiritual death? I remember spiritual death really, really well. I, I thank God for life. I, I'm thinking as I'm standing here of a man, that young man that uh, walked up to me. Uh, I, I couldn't, can't pull back exactly when, probably 15, 20 years ago. Um, I just officiated at a a memorial service, and this young man walked up to me and said, I need to talk. I need to talk. So we sat down and talked, and I heard this man's story. It was a a man whose life had been filled with every conceivable sin there is. I'm just telling you. Um, It was drugs. It was booze. It was women. It was violence. It was crime. Name it. He had done it. And had done it since early childhood. 
But God had begun to speak into his life. And there was a moment when life happened. He came from death into life. And I'll never forget how often he used to say to me after those moments, I feel like for the first time, I'm alive. I'm alive. And to this very day, this man has gone on to become a devoted husband and father and witness for Christ. Not perfect by any means, but is there anyone here who is perfect? Uh, but mightily transformed by the power of Christ. The one who raised his son from the dead. The father who spoke to the tomb in the garden and said to his son, Arise. That same one speaks to us in our spiritual death and says, Arise. Come to life. And we who are in Christ have therefore newness of life. Newness of life. Fullness of life. All because of Him. So, what happened when you got saved? Well, you died with Christ. You were crucified with Him on the cross. You were buried. God dug a hole as deep as a hole could get. Placed your old life in that hole and covered it up. It's buried. And you were raised to a new life. If you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years, this is good news, isn't it? This is good news. Take this away from me and I've got nothing left. But with this, I have all I need. I have all I need. And the same is true for you. Christ is all we will ever need because He has decisively buried our past and powerfully begun our future. I want to invite you as I close to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Because I want to read a text here where Paul, the same author, expounds and expands the teaching of Colossians chapter 2. I'm just going to read this, this whole chapter because I want your hearts and minds to be blessed and affected and inspired by it. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? 
We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things in de is death. But now, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But, but, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah, indeed. Amen, indeed. I doubt that there is any better news in all the world. All of this because of Christ. Is it not fitting that we pause now as we conclude? Is it not fitting that we observe the communion meal?
together. We have died with him. We've been buried in him. We have been raised in him. Jesus said, as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I come, telling us that after that death would be life, that he would be raised and he would be returning. And he says, I, wa I want you to remember this. So I've, I've, I've given you a piece of bread. I've given you the fruit of the vine, the, the crushed grapes that represent my blood poured out for you. Simple symbols, but a powerful nourishing feast for our hearts. The communion meal is for those who are followers of Jesus, those who love Jesus in spirit and in truth, those who have committed to Christ as their Savior and Lord, those who have declared that in baptism. Uh, this is for all of you who have believed and been baptized uh, and are part of a church. This, this, is, this is for you. Jesus, right before he died and took our sins in his body on the, on the tree, Jesus took the bread and he blessed it. He thanked God for it. And then he said, I want you to eat this in remembrance of me. So let us take the bread that has been distributed to you as we entered here today. Let us take that bread and eat it together now. Jesus also took the cup and blessed it, and consecrated it, and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. My blood poured out for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. Let us drink together now. As we close this morning, let me mention a couple of things. Um, for those that are planning on the family meeting, uh, I believe we're going to postpone that uh, due to both the heat and the attendance. As I look around, we look around, we realize that a lot of our uh, members of Risen Hope are not here this morning. and are doing whatever the summertime calls them to do. Uh, and uh, uh, so we're gonna, we're gonna postpone that until another time when we have more present. Um, we are going to begin our Explore course. If you're someone who'd like to find out more about Risen Hope Church, um, 
want to invite you to uh, just go through these doors to my left and take a right down the hallway and uh, Pastor Alex will meet you there. Um, and as we close, I, I pray that God will take the word, his word, and make it alive in our hearts. One other illustration comes to mind from Scripture that you will be familiar with uh, that actually will become the prayer for, as I close. Um, remember the story of Lazarus who died and was buried. Um, and on the, after a couple of days, Jesus arrived and all of Lazarus's family was in grief and mourning. And what did, what did Jesus do. He wept, but then he walked, walked to the tomb, and then he said something amazing. He said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. You think about it, Lazarus is dead. How can he hear Jesus' words? How can a dead man hear? How can a dead man come forth? How did that happen? Because Lazarus came forth. How did that happen? It happened because there is power in the Word of Christ. As the Word goes out, powerful things happen. In Lazarus's case, brought back to life. As the Word comes to us in preaching and in reading, it comes to us with the power of God. God sends forth His power. My prayer for all of you is that you would experience that through the Word that you have heard today. That you would not just hear words, but you would experience the power of God. Can I pray that over you as I close here now? O oh Lord God of heaven, we are those who have come to this place this morning not out of ritual or mere habit, not out of a sense of obligation or duty, but because, O oh Lord, we have longed to experience you in greater measure than we ever have before. We have longed to taste of your goodness. We have longed to experience your power. And so, Lord, I pray that that has happened. And I pray that it will not stop when we walk through the doors to go outside. But that that power will go with us. To live triumphant and victorious lives in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so... Dear God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I, I pray this blessing over all who are here that Your presence will go with them, that Your grace will abound in their lives, that their faith would be made strong, that they would by faith know that they have been raised from the dead by the mighty power of God, even the same power that raised up Jesus, that each and every one will live this week conscious of your presence and goodness and grace in their lives. And Lord, I pray that you would keep us all safe, that you would guard us 
from all infirmity, that you would guard us from every accident, that you would preserve us from every disease, that, Lord, your grace would abound and your healing would abound and your mercies would abound on us all. This I pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming. God bless you. God